My name is Trip Gorman, and in this episode of SME VC, I sat down with Robert Terenzi. He's an attorney in the Latin American group at Wilson Sonsini. While working after college at the Carr Center for Human Rights Policy at Harvard's Kennedy School, he was told by his supervisors to consider living abroad. Shortly after, Robert's six-week internship in Nicaragua turned into years of living and working in Central America and learning about the coffee trade, and later building Vega Coffee, a coffee company focused on building a supply chain that benefits coffee-growing communities. In this episode of SME VC, we discuss the considerations for founders when registering their international holding and domestic operating companies, how Wilson Sonsini uses fee caps and fee deferrals to help startup founders, how Robert built Vega Coffee in Nicaragua, as well as some funny stories surrounding that incredible experience. And finally, Robert's scientific analysis on the food safety of street meat vendors in Latin America and why you should just eat it. We discussed all this and more in this incredible episode of Samia VC. Okay, Robert, could you start by telling the audience a bit more about your work history up to and including your current role at Wilson Sonsini? Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to talk about this stuff. It's really a uh, passion of mine. And so I'm excited to dive in. Um, yeah. So I, um, coming out of undergrad, I worked at the um, Carr Center for Human Rights at the Kennedy School of Government um, at Harvard. And I worked for Samantha Power and Michael Ignatieff um, as a research assistant. And I wanted to get involved in um, international work. And they kind of their advice to me was was basically like if you're going to get involved you have to go live somewhere um, where this is relevant. And so, I was supposed to go to law school in the fall. I found a six week internship in Nicaragua and um, went down there and then spent the next two years of my life there um, and put off law school. Um, spent a little bit of time in Uganda working on microfinance, um, but really in Nicaragua is where I, I found uh, I discovered the coffee supply chain and. Um, just kind of how broken it was and um, spent spent my time there kind of working with coffee farmers um, and kind of trying to drive more value to the farms and then um, went to law school uh, after that time uh, met my current wife Nushin um, and uh, after law school I went to Silicon Valley to work for Wilson Sonsini this is like 2010 and uh, Nushin took a Fulbright fellowship in Nicaragua um, and I spent the, the next three years working with um, a guy named Yokum Taku, who is kind of a Silicon Valley legend. Um, he um, pioneered a lot of the first open source document work for uh, startups and was uh, continues to be a real mentor to me. Um, after about three and a half years of doing that, um, my wife and I were like, hey, let's do something crazy for a little while. And so we were going to take a year off and go back to Nicaragua to uh, explore kind of more coffee-related adventures, and that ended up turning into um, Vega Coffee, which was which is a um, coffee company that we started in Nicaragua with the idea of um, transforming the coffee supply chain to add more value to farm smallholding women farmers in Nicaragua. Um, we expanded to Colombia. We raised a bunch of different rounds of finance in kind of every way you can do it, like price rounds, safe convertible notes, debt, working capital, grants, kind of everything you can do, revenue-based repayment, um, all sorts of stuff. So um, after about eight years of doing that, um, my uh, we had two kids in between. Um, we have two beautiful daughters. And um, I kind of said, you know, one of us should probably go get a real job at some point. And so uh, I 
found out about the Latin America practice group at Wilson Sonsini and um, started talking to um, the head of the group, Matt Squires, and some other people in the group and really liked the idea of the work. And uh, and so came back to um, Wilson Sonsini earlier this year and have been kind of representing um, start technology startups in Spanish-speaking Latin America mostly because I speak Spanish um, for the last like seven or eight months. I love it. Could you tell the audience a little bit more about what problems your team, your Latin America focused team at Wilson Sonsini solves in Latin America for these startups? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, Wilson Sonsini was like the first real Silicon Valley law firm. Um, it kind of started, I think, in the, the 60s or 70s um, and started, you know, and really like became a giant in the region um, because it focused on venture finance on technology companies um, from the really earliest days that it was like a, a capital of that sort of innovation. And um, so over that time period, I think that Silicon Valley has really perfected the mechanics of venture finance. It definitely hasn't perfected venture finance, given like the lack of diversity, inclusion, and investment going to minority and women funded founded companies. Uh, but on the on the technical side, um, it's it's really like a pretty smooth process and and there's they've seen a lot. And so what we can do is we can plug our Silicon Valley mechanics and technical expertise into emerging markets and um, developing startup ecosystems to make the uh, kind of uh, growth of these companies like accelerate, you know, with our kind of help. We, um, in our group specifically, we have about, we'll, we'll do about 60 to 70 transactions a year. We've got, I think, over like 160 clients throughout Latin America. And so that gives us kind of like elite market awareness and um, perspective on what's going on in the market, what to look out for. And we also typically take the company side or the founder side on, on deals. And so um, because we've been through so many of like incorporation, you know, a guy in a garage through going public so many times we can help protect companies from problems before they even know that they're that there's a threat um and so uh that's kind of our our kind of biggest value props i think are kind of being a company founder friendly um really understanding what is market what's not market what's unreasonable by an investor what is totally reasonable and um and also just having had so many reps like we can kind of get through a lot of the complications that might derail somewhat less experienced kind of firm or, or something like that. You mentioned the problems and threats. What are the problems and threats that are unique to an emerging market like Latin America that you might find in the U.S. but might be different in Latin America? Yeah, so um, there's a few things. One is a kind of regulatory and government um, uh, interference, I would say, in the incorporation or growth cycle of a business. Um, you know, uh, in the U.S., there's a lot you can do as a private company without incurring tax liability or without um, kind of provoking authorities, you know, and and that there's I, I've seen a lot more oversight in uh, in Latin America and the deals I've done. And I've seen a lot more um, restrictions on kind of like company flexibility and structure. If you were king of the world, what would you change? relating to Latin American laws that relate to technology startups and venture capitalists? Um, you know, that, that one's actually pretty easy because 
Um, a few years ago, there was a um, tax reform in Mexico that has made um, the ability for Mexican startups to um, flip into a VC-friendly structure much more complicated and and uh, and basically impossible without um, incurring a significant tax liability. And so, I think that you know the first thing I would do is kind of just standardize the laws, you know throughout Latin America with respect to, to incorporations and tax liability, um, and then specifically focusing on, on Mexico and um, kind of giving companies the ability to change their structure according to the needs of the business, which right now they, they are extremely limited in, in being able to do. That's very interesting. So about this kind of incorporation, the holding companies, the operating companies, um, I think a lot of people think about the C-Corps in the United States, the ETVE in Spain, or you know, a Caribbean Cayman BVI registered holding company, what questions would you ask or what would you tell different startups if they're thinking about navigating this process and, and deciding which of these countries they would uh, register their holding, holding company in? Yeah, so I, I, you know, <clears throat> there's been a lot of um, movement in this space over the last year. Um, the market is somewhat coalescing, I would say, around the Cayman sandwich, which is popularized by Latitude. Um, and, um, you know, that that has the backing of Y Combinator. Um, Andrews and Horowitz just invested in Latitude. So, so there's definitely a market move towards um, that structure, which is essentially a Cayman holding company on top, a Delaware LLC as a pass-through entity. And then, you know, you could have as many operating companies in different jurisdictions as you need as subsidiaries. The benefits to that are that um, it provides a lot of flexibility at exit because you can sell either the subsidiaries in, you can sell specific sub subsidiaries without incurring US tax liability. You can sell the whole thing as the Cayman level or even just the, the US you know, level as well. And so um, th that has a lot of, uh, benefits. The negatives are that that's pretty expensive to, to get set up. Um, there, you know, in the US, if you're just a, setting up a US C Corp, you know, you can do that for under a thousand bucks. And with the Cayman kind of full structure, you're looking at a lot closer to $10,000. And that, that can be a lot for a startup to incur at the beginning. Um, you know, that's one of the things that kind of some of the bigger firms like us, we, what we can do is, is provide fee deferrals and fee caps. And so, so that, you know, it delays some of that investment for you, but um, it uh, it's an expensive proposition. That, that said, there is still a bit of a decision tree when incorporating that one should kind of walk through to make sure that that's the right structure, essentially. Um, you know, where are the company's operations and employees going to be? where are their sales likely to be? And what does the kind of future of the company as far as investors and an exit look like? Like, where is, where is the financing gonna come from? If you're completely kind of based in Mexico and, and you know, not planning on raising funds from outside fund capital or kind of any of those things, then it might make sense just to have a Mexican operating company. That said, a lot of venture capital funds, even based in Mexico, will not invest in a Mexican SAPI because of kind of the tax liability and the, the transparency laws that they have there. So um, I think that there's a fairly um, straightforward and safe answer in the Cayman sandwich, um, but it is expensive and uh, that can be a bit of a risk. Um, so 
whenever we talk to a company, we kind of we kind of do walk through kind of the, the future plans of the company, what their goals are, if they plan on entering the US market, do they plan on basically, you know, being mostly in the US after their first couple of years? Because um, that can eliminate the need for the Cayman uh, Topco. And we can just do kind of a Delaware C Corp with a, a Mexican or, a, you know, a Mexican or Colombian, whatever it is, um, subsidiary underneath. Um, so those are all kind of things to think about, basically. I love it. You talked a little bit about your time at founding Vega Coffee in Nicaragua. Give us a whole story. Where did you live? Tell us about some of the problems. Tell us more about that whole experience because it's kind of incredible. Yeah, no, uh, that, it's uh, being the founder of a startup is has definitely given me a different perspective on on life and on fundraising and on kind of everything related to um, to the to running a company and, and to being a lawyer of, of startups. Um, you know, there are 20 million coffee farmers around the world that live at or below the poverty line. And um, coffee is, you know, the second most traded commodity in the world behind oil um, from developing countries. And so, um, you know, we looked at that problem and we kind of like wondered why. And our thesis was that <clears throat> essentially, a farmer's economic relationship to coffee ends as soon as they pick the bean. That that's that the first point of sale, basically, to the to the middlemen and, and coyotes up the chain. All of the value prep, value add processes in the coffee supply chain, and there are a lot of them, but you know the the two most significant are going to be roasting and then endpoint sales. That's where ninety percent of the profit in the entire chain is is in the last little bit of of the supply chain. Um, farmers don't have anything to do with that. They're, they're completely removed from that. And so what we wanted to do was um, change that supply chain and have all of the processing for the coffee done in coffee growing communities. So our farmers that we work with um, now take part in every single part of the chain up through um, you know, roasting, grinding, packaging, they even put the USPS mail label on the boxes of mail that gets sent to the US. And so um, through that model, we've we've been able to uh, realize an increase of about four to five times more than what they were previously making through typical export channels. Um, we have expanded to um, Colombia and we work with a couple of really wonderful women-run cooperatives in Nicaragua and in Colombia. Um, we started off as... Um, a direct consumer kind of coffee of the month club where you would subscribe and get uh, coffee sent to you with a, we started with like a $40,000 Kickstarter and we've ended up growing the business significantly. And now we, we operate in um, a few different sales channels. We still have the subscription business. We sell to college and universities where the coffee on campus at a, at a handful of universities on the East coast. And we're also an ingredient in um, companies that are, looking to use sustainably sourced ingredients in their coffee, like Daily Harvest, for example, is our biggest customer. Um, and so it's been, it was a, it was a fascinating kind of ride. I lived in uh, Esteli, Nicaragua. Um, I lived with coffee farmers uh, and in a super rural place going, leaving from, leaving San Francisco and uh, the kind of the heart of Silicon Valley, in Palo, working in Palo Alto, moving to Nicaragua uh, with my wife and, and kind of a, taking on a completely different lifestyle was really amazing. Like the, 
and and kind of the the hardest part about it, I think, was was just kind of the logistical challenges of getting set up in in a lot of ways. Like, you know, they the government there really wanted us to um, pay for an export license through non legit means, and you know, and so we had to kind of you know protest and storm and like you know not leave the export office until we got our license. And 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 there were just so many steps along the way. Um, I remember one time I, uh, you know, was we were building this machine and we needed um, basically horse fertilizer to, um, to, you know, add into the cement. And so I spent the day picking up horse poop. And um, at the end of the day, I was leaving the farm where I did that. And the guy was like, you have to pay me for that. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is a really crazy world like that I just entered into. I'm definitely not a Silicon Valley attorney anymore. And so, um, you know, yeah, it's been, you know, from hauling, you know, multiple suitcases full of individual coffee bags across, you know, the border to uh, now, you know, filling up basically containers. It's been, it's been a, a real um, journey and it was sad to leave, um, uh, but I'm still really involved. I'm, I'm on the board and, and like I said, my wife is running the business and she's doing a great job. And so uh, I'm excited to see where it goes, but uh, it's, it, it was definitely like a unique chapter in my life and to, to do it for eight years to survive COVID, like we have a lot to be proud of too. So I'm, I'm really pumped about it. That is absolutely incredible. And you mentioned you sell it at colleges on the East coast. Um, we, we have to discuss after this about getting that into Georgetown. Um, and, and I don't know how we can follow that story with more lawyer talk, but I think we can squeeze a couple of questions in. What is something that the average American lawyer wouldn't know about Latin America? I think um, just how um, big and diverse the startup and VC ecosystem is. Like when I tell people that I represent technology startups in Latin America, the, a lot of people are just like, wow, that's super neat or that's an oddly specific career choice. Um, but there is so much going on and so many different uh, sectors that are benefiting from the growth. And, um, and I think that 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 like doesn't get as much play like everybody thinks about like you know mega success stories in the u.s like instagram and you know whatever facebook and stuff but um you know you have rappy and and like a bunch of incredible mercado libre you know quintandar like all these big great big companies down in down in latin america too that are changing fundamental life on a day-to-day -day basis for their for their users and so um yeah, I think that that's kind of what I would say. I don't think a lot of American lawyers understand or appreciate just how big the opportunity is in Latin America right now. Believe me, as someone with a podcast and a newsletter about Latin American venture capital and tech, I get that sort of sentiment a lot of why why are you picking that? So believe me, I'm there with you. Um, and I think some of the, uh, many of the audience feel the same way. And I want, I want to ask a question about the experience of the Latin American tech founder that it has an idea, you know, maybe they've spoken with a lawyer, maybe they haven't, maybe they've done some Googling on what they should do. They might be, you know, pre, pre uh, friends and family around or, or around there. What should they be thinking? Who should they be contacting? How, what, what sort of thought process should they have if they're listening to this podcast right now? Yeah. So I think, um, I think two things. One is Unfortunately, like you kind of do have to invest early in setting a company up correctly. Um, there's not a lot of ways around that, and it can be really costly not to do so. Um, you know, I think we're one of the few firms that offers things like fee caps and fee deferrals to make it more affordable for startups, um, because we don't intend to make money on kind of the incorporation process. We, we want to develop a long-term relationship with, with a company and see them through growth and exit. 
Um, but but unfortunately, it is going to require some investment early on, and you really don't want to skimp on it or use a lawyer who is you know a family friend or doesn't really know the ins and outs of venture capital. Um, the second thing is is that you know Silicon Valley has Sand Hill Road, like the kind of the capital of um, fundraising and finance in in Silicon Valley, and and I haven't found a relevant kind of counterpart to that in Latin America. So so what I kind of really talk about is using your networks, be active on WhatsApp chats, like attend conferences. Um, you know, at Vega, like we raised a lot of our money. You know, we were kind of a little bit more in the impact space than, than strictly kind of high growth um, um, venture capital. But we raised a lot of our, the financing that we raised through attending different accelerators. You know, even kind of towards the later stages of, of the company, there were still relevant accelerators. And the connections that you make there through mentors and um, other companies like uh, I just found that to be incredibly valuable. So I think that, you know, now that now that COVID is like hopefully a little bit more in the rear view mirror, um, being in person, attending conferences, attending accelerators, really trying to trying to grow your network and become active and involved in as many ways as you can, I think is 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 necessary for a founder, especially a first time founder to um, to find sources of capital and to find support and resources to grow their 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 dream into a real company. I love that. You, there's no Sand Hill Road in Latin America. You probably lived on a road in Nicaragua that had sand on it. So th that that can't compare just yet. But um, I want to ask, what are you most excited about right now? You know, uh, coming from um, kind of the supply chain and, and logistics background in, in coffee and just dealing with so many problems there, I've been really excited about a lot of the companies that we've been talking to lately who are pioneering um, different ways to either fix last mile distribution or international logistics. Um, I think that that can that those kind of efforts on supply chain and logistics are maybe not as like glamorous or sexy as like a, a, you know a, a, a new social media app or something like that, but or or you know uh, you know a, a t you know media in general, but they 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 pay such long term benefits to um, not only the companies that are successful, but the entire ecosystem as a whole. Like if we can get Latin America more connected, more kind of, um, you know, just more like information and goods traveling inter within the countries and across borders, um, that can open up opportunities for more high growth companies to to kind of experience the growth. Because sometimes you, you get like a... Um, criticism or feedback about Latin America being like the, the, all the countries are so separate. There's no one big market that's big enough for us to make a huge investment in. And so I think that the more connected um, Latin America can be, um, the better the opportunities are for the startup and VC ecosystem. So I'm, I'm really excited about some of the logistics and supply chain um, startups that I've been working with recently. I love it. Okay. So finally, I have to ask Peter Thiel's famous contrarian question, but with a uniquely Simia VC twist. What important truth about Latin America do very few people agree with you on? So I would get yelled at about this a lot in specifically when I was living in Nicaragua. Um, but I think um, street meat is good and safe at any time of the day or more importantly at night. Um, and I think that you should eat it all the time. Uh, the I have never had a problem. And I've eaten at some really sketchy spots in Managua. And, uh, and, and, and I, I just think, I, I think everybody should be eating a lot more street meat. Um, the second one, it, it's not that people don't agree with me on this, but I don't think people have really enough people have 
um, really experience the absolute bliss that is sitting on a beach in northern Nicaragua and like Esta, like uh, Las Penitas or Chinandega and eating like an entire fried fish with gallo pinto and like a giant watermelon juice. Uh, that is like pure heaven. And I've had so many good experiences like that. Like those are all my best days. And so, uh, yeah, I'd say just kind of get off the beaten path and eat a whole fish. No offense to the past guests. That's the best answer I've heard for that last question. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the SME VC podcast today. I very much appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love what you're doing. Thank you for watching this episode of Sami VC. My name is Trip Gorman. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you view the podcast. And don't forget to check out our newsletter, DealFlow LA, which can be found by going to dealflow.la.